I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Energy Weekly with me, Sylvia Pfeiffer. On the show this week, former chief executive of BP, Tony Hayward, strikes his first deal at the head of his new investment vehicle, Valores. I think there are lots of corporate governance questions around it. There are lots of geopolitical risks. Being a big investor in Iraqi Kurdistan and being a big oil exploration and production company in that part of the world because of the internal factions within Iraq. And I think investors are going to have to take all of those on board. After the failure of one of the largest solar panel producers in the US, we ask, is this a signal the sector is in trouble? I think we can expect to see quite a few less solar companies, but of course considerably bigger ones, because the fundamental thing that's going on here is a, a very impressive structural cost down in the industry that I think is, is going to take us to the point where we'll be competitive with conventional energy in many markets. And China's energy company CNPC is poised to win the first oil field to be tendered in Afghanistan for a decade. Afghanistan has potentially huge reserves of minerals, including oil, but it's yet to attract any serious interest from the big Western mining and oil companies. The Chinese are pursuing a very interesting strategy that mirrors the same kind of approach they've taken in other unstable but resource-rich countries. Let's start the show with Tony Hayward, the former chief executive of BP, whose new investment vehicle, Valaris, announced today that it's buying a Kurdistan explorer and teaming up with a Turkish group in the process. Joining me in the studio is the FT Lex writer Vincent Boland. Now, Vincent, the deal seals the return of Tony Hayward to the public markets. It's a remarkable comeback given his departure from BP last year and will also make him a lot of money in the process. But is this a good deal for the London market? It certainly looks like a very good deal for Tony Hayward and for Nathaniel Rothschild, who is his partner in Valares. And it's, I think, a very good deal for Genel Energy, the Turkish company that is merging with Valares on a 50-50 basis. I think there are lots of corporate governance questions around it. There are lots of political, I think, geopolitical risks. Being a big investor in Iraqi Kurdistan and being a big oil exploration and production company in that part of the world because of the internal factions within Iraq. And I think investors are going to have to take all of those on board. Is it a good deal for the London market? I think it's probably too early to say, but it's a very risky transaction. Let's just take those two points through step by step. On the political, geopolitical side of things, Kurdistan is still in talks with the government in Baghdad about how you'd share the revenues from any sort of oil discoveries. There have been some signs of progress in recent months, haven't there? There have been, yes, and they are talking about how the oil revenues should be shared. But this issue of sharing oil revenues goes absolutely to the heart of the ethnic and tribal divisions in Iraq itself. And Tony Hayward has just walked into the middle of this now and is asking investors to accompany him. Now, it may very well be a risk worth taking. If it works out, you know, people will make a lot of money because the actual resources on the ground are pretty significant. And the Valares-Genel merger has the capacity to produce 155,000 barrels a day of oil 
in a fairly easy to explore and easy to produce from location. But the risks are intangible, but they are extremely big and they have to do with whether royalties will be paid on time, whether they will be paid at all, who will pay them, who will they share them with, all that kind of thing. That's all still up in the air. On the corporate governance side, the chief executive of Genel, Mr. Mehmet Seppel, he was fined by the FSA for market abuse a couple of years ago. Is that the only thing that we should be worried about from a corporate governance perspective? He won't have a seat on the board, I should add, but what are the risks you see here? Well, I think you could argue that Messrs. Hayward and Rothschild have aligned themselves with two quite controversial figures in the shape of Mehmet Seppel, who I think will be president of the new venture, and Karim Emmet, who is one of the founders of Genel Energy and quite a significant businessman in Turkey, and a very controversial one, I should say, because he had a banking empire that collapsed during the 2000-2001 crisis. He had to be bailed out by the state. He owed a lot of money to the state. And he has also been locked in a very bitter dispute with fellow shareholders in this Turkcell mobile phone company in Turkey. So he has, you know, a lot of baggage that, that he's bringing with him. And also, um, he had a jail sentence just quashed very recently. So again, I think that there are corporate governance questions that would jump to the mind of any regulator in London, um, if this company wants to listen to London, which it does, and it wants to get into the FTSE. So the FSA has been looking very closely. There is quite a degree of independent monitoring on the board, because there's lots of independent directors. Independent, one hopes, not only of the whole Karamemet Sepil sort of issue, but also independent of Tony Hayward. So I think investors will need a bit of comfort there if they're to buy into this venture. Thank you. Let's move from oil to solar. With a number of high-profile US companies filing for bankruptcy, including the government-backed Solyndra, the sector looks like it could be in trouble. Earlier today, the FT's environment correspondent, Polita Clark, asked Jeremy Leggett, founder and executive chairman of the solar equipment company Solar Century, for his thoughts on the matter. Jeremy, the collapse of Solyndra has been um, particularly eye-catching. What does it mean for the rest of the sector, do you think? Well, it's regrettable, but I think for many it's not unexpected. I can't comment on Solyndra as an individual case, but for a long while now we've been suspecting there's going to be a, a shakeout as the prices come down in the industry as spectacularly as they have. And so I think we've passed peak solar companies, if you like. It's now going to be a, a bit of a, a battle for survival of the fittest. And in a few years, I think we can expect to see quite a few less solar companies, but of course considerably bigger ones, because the fundamental thing that's going on here is a, a very impressive structural cost down in the industry that I think is, is going to take us to the point where we'll be competitive with conventional energy in many markets much faster than many people expected. I think the reason people obviously were interested in Solyndra is that it had this enormous amount of backing from the US government. You know, we, we saw that half-billion-dollar loan guarantee, and then it had a series of successful fundraising rounds itself, and yet it still didn't succeed. I mean, at heart, was that because its technology was, in fact, just too expensive, unique and interesting, and yet just too expensive for the commodity silicon modules? Yes, I think that's fundamentally it, and it's it's regrettable. I mean, you, an industry doesn't want to have this kind of federal backing and then see it go sour as government find themselves having to try and pick winners. So I'm not trying to underplay the significance of the event, but what I am saying is that, you know, if you come back in a few years' time, of course the enemies of the industry are saying this is an indication that we're not going to make it, we can't be competitive. You can't expect solar photovoltaics to have a significant minority place in the global energy 
energy mix. That's fundamentally wrong. If you talk to most of the analysts and the most recent report from Ernst and Young and others are, are saying, you know, there really is a very impressive fundamental cost down phenomenon going on in the industry. And in a relatively few years, we'll be delivering electricity as conventional electricity prices go up that uh, is competitive with coal, oil and gas. Well, we saw a report, actually, I think it was out earlier this week from the European Solar Trade Association people suggesting that we're going to see, I think Italy is going to be the first country that's going to get grid parity. Does that automatically then translate into banks and reams of solar panels spreading everywhere? Because there's still the connection to the grid issue, isn't there? Yes, and it depends on what goes on with the, with the competition because, you know, uh, if uh, there, there is really a bit of a civil war going on at the moment and increasingly, as you talk to people in the conventional energy companies who are, if you like, culturally backers of big centralised power plants, particularly nuclear, but also gas, they will find a long narrative of things that are wrong with solar and why grown-ups really can't get their energy ultimately this way. Many of us in the industry itself are really bullish about actually being able to do it in a different way. I mean, when hooked up with our brother and sister technologies in renewables, in strategic harness, I, I think we can do most of the jobs you need to do in modern economies and And, of course, it's not just the industry that's saying this. The German government has run a scaled experiment and come to the conclusion that, you know, with a mix of renewables, you actually can run baseload and a modern economy on uh, pretty much 100% renewables. That was Polita Clark talking to Jeremy Leggett earlier today. And to our final topic for today, Afghanistan. The country has become the latest to attract the interest of oil and gas companies. CNPC, the Chinese energy company, is poised to win the first oil field to be tendered in the country for a decade. Earlier today, my colleague Serena Tarling spoke to FT correspondent Matt Green in Islamabad about the deal and the challenges of operating in the country. What has prompted the recent licence round to take place now? Well, this has been something that's been in the works for some time. It's worth bearing in mind that when the U.S. outed the Taliban 10 years ago, the government was being run out of Kandahar City with uh, Mullah Mohammed Omar personally presiding over a, a chest full of money. So the, you know, the idea of this country getting to the point where it can hold an oil licensing round was something in the very distant future. But in the last few years, there's been a lot of effort, a lot of foreign technical assistance coming in, and a lot of expatriate Afghans returning from abroad to bolster the ranks of the mining ministry and, and get it into the kind of position where it can attract international investors to this, this kind of auction. And how keen was the interest from international oil companies, given the political risks and security issues of working in Afghanistan? Well, that's true. Afghanistan has potentially huge reserves of minerals, including oil, but it's yet to attract any serious interest from the big Western mining and oil companies, the kind it would like to see uh, coming into the country. The Chinese are pursuing a very um, interesting strategy in Afghanistan that mirrors the same kind of approach they've taken in other unstable but resource-rich countries. They're offering very attractive royalties and taxes to the government and promises to build infrastructure. CNPC said that it's going to invest up to $300 million in building a refinery to serve the domestic Afghan petroleum products market here. So all in all, uh, the Chinese aren't subject to the same commercial considerations that Western majors are, and they're they're taking a, a strategic position in the country. And how big are the country's mineral resources thought to be? 
that's a very good question. Nobody knows for sure is the short answer. There's massive potential. Certainly, there's a world-class iron ore deposit at Hadjigak in the center of the country. Uh, and even on the oil front as well, there's, there's large unexplored areas. I was speaking to an oil official yesterday who, who talked about the Afghan-Tajik Basin holding up to 1.8 billion barrels of oil, which would make it a, a, a massive field. But again, this is a country that's been at war for 30 years. There's been very little really detailed seismic studies done or, or exploration wells drilled. So it, it's really still up to the Afghans to prove that they have the resources that they say they do before they're going to really start getting uh, really big investment interest from, from Western companies. That was Matt Green talking to Serena Tarling. And that's it for this week. My thanks to guest Jeremy Leggett, Vincent Bolin and Polita Clark in the studio in London and Matt Green in Islamabad. Energy Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.